because there's going to be times in your life when you're going to be stressed and you need to know how to manage that. So I think having a balanced brain is it's not just about being lazy and being zen the entire time because you want to have a bit of stress in your brain, a bit of stress in your life. So it's knowing when to put the brakes on and rest and recover. Dear Balancer, I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together, let's find your unique balance. All right, Balancers, today's guest is the head performance advisor and CEO of NeuroAthletics, whose mission is to optimize mental performance and to help educate, train, and unlock human performance through science and data with a commitment to your potential. Welcome me in joining neurophysiologist and billionaire coach, Louisa Nicola. Louisa, a warm, warm welcome. I'm so happy to be here, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's a it's a pleasure to chat to you today. And I want to just share with everyone how serendipitous it was the way we met. It was on a warm, warm summer's day in a beautiful island called Castellorizo. We were there for a mutual friend's wedding and our stars just aligned and I think we hit it off and this podcast was just, you know, meant to be. So I'm really excited that we're having this chat, but it's almost strange that I'm looking at you through a screen. We're both in long sleeves. It does, does something yeah. not feel right about it to you? Like I feel like we should be in like bikinis with a cocktail. Like that's how I'm used to seeing you. <laughs> yeah, you just took me back in time. It was a bit nostalgic. I literally <laughs> met you. You were uh, playing cards. Uh, you were right on the edge at, of the water and it was just absolutely un- unreal. I can't believe we're here right now. But nonetheless, <laughs> I'm so happy that we met. Likewise. Now, I love the work you do and I was instantly captivated by your mission and your drive and you have such a such a strong and bold personality. So I was really excited not only to get into what you do and share that with my community, but also just have this chat with you in general. So just so everyone listening gets a bit of a feel for the actual work you do. Can you just talk to us about what a day in your life looks like and what, you, what it is that you actually do? Oh, gosh, it's uh, pretty intense here in New York City. So uh, obviously born and raised in Australia. So I am a neurophysiologist by trade. And what that looks like is if you have ever had to see a neurologist, you've um, ever had to get a nerve conduction study in a hospital, that's generally what I do. I've now taken that out of the hospital setting and I work one-on-one with elite athletes and I work with coaches uh, through my company, Neuroathletics. At the core of what we do, I'll explain what we do and then it might give you an insight into my day-to-day. At the core of what we do is we want to democratize brain health education. And we do that through a podcast and through the written word. Then we also coach uh, a lot of personal trainers. We coach athletic trainers. We coach coaches uh, on neuroathletics, which is literally cognitive neuroscience, how to train uh, how to train athletes, how to train everyday population, how to train their brain. Uh, and then we also work with uh, Wall Street. So we've got uh, about, f- I would say, the top five banks uh, in America and some hedge fund and portfolio managers under our belt. And we work with some teams, some NBA teams. So how does my day look? I literally put out fires from the moment I wake up. I'm up at around 5.30 a.m. I'm a professional firefighter. 
wake up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm either running, going to the gym, and then my day starts. I do a lot of content though, um, but it's, yeah, it's a lot of managing. It's not a lot of uh, fun things. You're making it out to be more boring than what it is because I think your work is incredible. I think the impact you're having is incredible. And for anyone not following Louise on TikTok, she is killing it, killing the game over over there. But even your Instagram videos are so, so insightful and so many of them have sparked just ideas in my mind. And what I love about your content is, like you said, you're democratizing brain health because often it's like, I don't know anything about the brain. It's too sciencey. It's like the too hard basket. But like actually speaking to you, even just from the brief chats we've already had, you make it so tangible. And that's why I'm so excited to get you on the show because everything I do and put out there is for people to digest and take into account how they can then apply that to their own lives. And I think when things are simple, it makes it so much easier. We can talk about it in a general conversation. A little bit to the left and before we get into like the brain side of things and I pick your brain on that, I just wanted you to share your story about how you actually started your podcast because I think it's incredible and it's so inspiring and it just shows how much of like a go-getter personality you have. So would you mind just sharing that with everyone listening? I'll give you all the short version. Uh, I came to New York City. I wasn't here for a very long time and I was following, this was in 2016. I came here to coach uh, some boxers and uh, I had been uh, an avid listener of Gary Vaynerchuk. That's back when he was, you know, first coming into it. I thought he was a celebrity. I thought he was amazing. Uh, one day I had a free day. It was a very, very hot New York City summer's day, which is absolutely traumatizing here in the city when it's hot. And I decided to put uh, Gary V's address in my Google Maps. And I didn't really know how to use the subway system here. So I walked all the way there. It was ended up being around 15 kilometers. In the heat, I walked to his office and the security guard wouldn't let me in. And so I sat down on a rock out the front of his office and just so happened that he walked out and we we just collided. I said, Gary, hi, I've, you know, I, I've come from Australia to meet you. And we got to know each other. He put me on his um D-Rock was videotaping us and he ended up inviting me up to his office. So I went up there. We did a, an interview in his office um, back in 2016 and he's, he gave me, I asked him for some advice and he said, I want you to go home and start a podcast. I said, I don't know how to do that. He said, you need to get your microphone out on your phone, the, the voice recorder, and you need to just talk. So I did that. It just so happened that the day after, I had to see the San Antonio Spurs, which is an NBA team. So I asked the head coach, I said, would you mind if I interviewed you? I got my voice recorder out. I interviewed him. Uh, Gary told me how to put these voice recordings up onto a podcast on Apple iTunes. I did. It aired. And that was uh, pretty. That was pretty much it. I had um, I had a huge lineup of guests. After that, I had NBA players. I had some of the world's best athletes on there, and it hit top one globally, and then it went to top twenty, and then top fifty. So it uh, it was a, a bit of a wild ride. That's incredible, and and you deserve it because the podcast is amazing. So I'm going to pop links in the show notes for anyone who ahead of time knows they're going to love this conversation or wants to check it out after our chat. Um, but thanks for sharing because I just uh, that's one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. Just goes to show, like yeah. if you you know just put yourself out there, you never know what's going to happen. So I absolutely love that. And now onto a little bit more of the brain related specific things. I want to know just straight off the bat: Are there things that a lot of us do 
every day that is very common that's detrimental to our brain health? Is there anything you can think of off the top of your head that you kind of see as a recurring pattern, things that we can address sort of instantly? Yes. Now, let's remember it's very hard for me to break these down into simple steps. So I'm going to do my best, okay? And I'm going to start sure. off with a bit of neuroanatomy 101 for everybody. So first that. and foremost, <laughs> we, uh, we are all connected by this wonderful thing called the nervous system. You have one, I have one. Everyone in this world has one. So that all connects us. The nervous system is made up of the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. And the central nervous system is literally just the hardware. It's the brain and the spinal cord. Then the peripheral nervous system is all of the nerves that come off of your spinal cord and they connect to our organs and to our hands and to our feet. Now, when you ask me, are we doing certain things wrong? When when I hear that, I think to myself, are we doing things wrong to the hardware? And often we are. And it turns out that, look, here's some facts about the brain. The brain is 60% fat. The rest of it is water, some metabolites here and there. Uh, we It weighs about three pounds. It's very dumb. So whatever you tell it, it will do and it will believe. It's very malleable. So we have something called neuroplasticity. So we can learn new skills very uh, malleably, if that is a word. Um, <laughs> and here's another truth, and I'll get to your question. As we age, our brain ages too. And that's scary because every year, especially after the age of 25, when our brain is fully developed, we we just – we do things every single day to age our brain. We go through a natural brain aging process. Now, we are either accelerating or decelerating that aging process. More often than not, 90% of the population is accelerating this process because wow. to accelerate it, this means that we need to be putting things into our brain that is thinning the cortex, the hardware. And I actually posted an MRI scan of a 90-year-old's brain, and you see that the actual cortex is very thin because that's what happens. Our cerebral cortex thins as we age. So what yeah. are some of the things that is aiding in the brain aging process? First and foremost, sleep is our most underrated high-performance tool that we have, and it's one of the best things that you can do to starve off the brain aging process. So you may say to me, but Louisa, we've all been sleeping since we have kids. Yes, that may well and truly be true. However, how well are we sleeping? We now actually have this, uh, I don't know, don't quote me on the the amount, but I think it's like a, it's going to be a trillion dollar industry, the sleep industry, because we are having so much trouble with it. So sleep mm -hmm. deprivation, later on, we'll go into what that means. Sleep yeah, deprivation. Yeah, we'll definitely pick your brain on that in a minute. Um, alcohol. Alcohol is very detrimental to sleep, uh, inability to exercise. So a lot of people are not doing the proper exercises for a healthy brain. And then I think the other thing that we're doing is it's not so much about what we're ingesting when it comes to food, it's what we're not ingesting. And that's where those key nutrients come in. Okay. Super interesting. Um, question, when you say proper exercise or the proper exercises, Obviously, I mean, every person is unique and different and will require a different type of movement. But when you say that generally, what do you mean? So 
I love that question, first of all. So when it comes to uh, brain health, we've got we've got two known facts. We know that aerobic physical activity, which is around 60 to 75% of your maximum heart rate over an extended period of time, is good for our brain. In 1999, the first study was done uh, on rodents, but then it was also replicated in humans that showed that if you are exercising aerobically for 60 to 90 minutes, you can grow new neurons, which are brain cells, in the hippocampus. Okay, yep. I'm not going to go too cool. deep, but this just means that that's where the memory structure of the brain is. So that means that with exercise, it's very good for our brain. It grows new brain cells in that region and we can have better memory. But mm-hmm. then you fast forward in the 2000s, around 2005, I would say, that's when the first studies that were done on strength training. And that's where I think we're missing that we're missing the mark. So strength training in the form of actually lifting weights, heavy weights. Erica, not these little tiny little dumbbells. My mother rung me up and she's like, look, you must be really happy. I'm doing dumbbells. They're like two kilo dumbbells. I said, no, I'm going to (laughs) Australia next week to uh, sort that out. So strength training is wonderful. Uh, We we know through strength training that uh, when we contract a muscle, like during a bicep curl, for example, you are our muscle releases these little molecules. They're called myokines. We don't really need to go into what that is, but they're muscle-based proteins. These myokines, once they're released from the muscle, they go into the bloodstream and then they travel up to the brain. And guess what happens? These molecules, these hormones, they cross the blood-brain barrier and they go into your brain. And we have these little receptors in our brain. They connect to those receptors and they have positive effects. And these Mm. positive effects are things such as it increases uh, your focus, your motivation, um, your information processing speed, your memory. And not just that, these particular hormones like irisin can actually change the structure of your brain. So instead of your brain thinning, you can stop that process. Wow. Isn't that incredible? It's like an anti-aging hack. Would you say – because, I mean, I currently am doing a weights program. It's not something I've always done. The last few years I've been super into it and I've been feeling like it's the thing for me at this point in time. I definitely feel great doing it. But let's just say, so you've got like heavy, heavy weight training, which is like resistance style. Would you say there's something like reformer Pilates? Because that can be quite similar to resistance-based training. Well, are there any kind of other styles of exercise that you think meet the mark or come anywhere close to the benefits from, I mean, I know you said it's super heavy lifting, but I'm just curious if there's like a pool of exercise that you would also put on the same spectrum. It doesn't have to be super heavy. It actually has to be 70% of your one repetition max and you have to be doing it three times a week. Now, when you do Pilates, that is it. Look, and it's also dependent on how untrained you are, but you can also get women who are in their, let's just say women in their seventies and eighties and get them to do a wall squat when they're very untrained and they will get the same benefits as somebody like you or myself who are lifting very heavy. So it's very dependent on how, you know, how fit you are, how strong you are. But the good rule of thumb is on rep six, you want to be shaking. Yeah. Close to failure. Close to failure. All right. Interesting. So these are sorts of things that I guess 
work against the natural aging process, would you go so far as to say that you can reverse or completely halt it? Or is it one of those things that it's just going to happen over time and we can just sort of control the speed at which it happens? To say like I'm more thinking the 70, 80-year-old, right, who maybe starts doing their wall squats or starts implementing some brain hacks, can they actually do any reversal? So that's a it's a controversial topic. So right now there's this thing called the Horvath clock. And uh David Sinclair, who I've uh, who I've interviewed, he's a fellow Australian, but he's a Harvard uh researcher, and he's in longevity science and he speaks about longevity and reversing the aging clock. And with this Horvath clock, what we can do is you can go and get a blood test, right? And you can test your chronological age and your biological age. So yes, I've seen this. Yeah, so you could be uh, 35, for example, but your insides, your body, your cells could be 28, and that is because of the lifestyle that you live. Or they could be 38. So it depends on how you live. Can you reverse? Well, David Sinclair has proven that in that aspect you can, but Mm -hmm. it's extremely detailed. It takes a lot of money, a lot of time. And instead of doing that, I would rather say, let's just slow the aging clock instead of reverse it. And so you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, any, anyone listening, I'm sure, is is in, into that. So good to know. And I'm sure we're going to talk about a couple things now in terms of like nutrients and sleep hacks that help slow down that process. But just before we move on, I just wanted to ask your personal take or professional take on coffee, good, bad, neutral, its role on the brain specifically. Um, did you sort of have any thoughts around that? Because I feel like it's such one of those things that's so controversial. You have people say don't have it at all. Some people say it's so good for you, like there's so many benefits of caffeine. So I just wanted your professional take on it. Love caffeine, ingest caffeine daily. Uh, My only caveat is timing of caffeine. So caffeine has a half-life of 12 hours. So you really want to be careful of where and when you're having it. So my general rule of thumb is coffee's great. I have a Cortado every day, which in Australia is a piccolo. Piccolo. That's my drink, almond That's piccolo. Um, almond pick all the way. We'll get one next Monday. We'll get one next week. And I have that every day and I have that at around 8 a.m. I never have caffeine afterwards. And so that's my only take on it. I don't know why that this this big, you know, it's bad for you, et cetera. It's only can be bad in uh, when it comes to consumption. Yeah. Yeah, I think. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Nexus. What about um, just if we're talking specifically on the brain, any thoughts or tips around whether you should have it on an empty stomach with food, without food, or really doesn't matter. Your only your only take is kind of around sleep time. The only thing that I would recommend is not having it as soon as you wake up. And that's just to help the natural circadian rhythm of your brain and hypothalamus to wake you up instead of having yeah. the caffeine. 
Yeah. So basically caffeine in medical terms is adenosine blockers. So yeah. they are, yeah. yeah, so caffeine blocks adenosine. Cool. Good points. Yeah. Um, now a little bit more on sleep. I'm curious to know whether you have, uh, I think we, we always talk about like a morning routine, right? But when it comes to sleep, I think having a night routine is equally as important. And I've always been a huge advocate for however you go to sleep is how you're likely to wake up because it's going to impact how you rest overnight. And I don't think anyone listening uh, is unaware of the impact sleep has on our brain and recovery and rest. But in terms of optimizing sleep, because it is such a readily accessible and free tool that we all have and use every single day, for people you know who are finding they're not having consistent or long or maybe they're having interrupted sleep, they're always waking up feeling tired. Do you have any tips from a brain health point of view on how we can actually optimize our sleep, whether that is just before we go to bed or things we're doing throughout the day, like you said already, like the coffee tip? So first of all, sleep starts from the moment that you wake up. So if you are waking up at 7 a.m. in the morning uh, and getting natural sunlight in your eyes, which is outside, not through a window, then that means you have woken or activated your circadian rhythm. And our circadian rhythm is this 24-hour clock. And we work in 12 and 12. So if you're activating it at 7 a.m., generally speaking, you're probably start starting to get sleepy at around 7 p.m. General rule of thumb to prepare yourself for sleep. I always say cardinal rules is dim your lights at around 8.30. So right now in New York City, it's at 7.30 p.m., and uh, Erica can see me. Uh, it's pretty dim in my apartment. I don't have overhead lighting. Uh, you got the mood the lighting hours. on. I got the mood lighting on. And then at 8.30, it'll be even darker. So you've got to be really crucial of light because light sends signals to your brain to say, I'm awake. It releases cortisol and it keeps you awake. And we don't want that. Then as we're moving further to- towards the night, you want to stop eating. You want to have a three-hour window from the moment that you finish dinner to the moment that you go to sleep. And that's to aid with digestion. And so that's not keeping you up at night. Then when you're in bed, you want to sleep in a completely pitch black room. Some people can't do that. Um, I wear a, I wear a sleep mask. So that is um, very helpful. My sleep stack in, in terms of supplements include, I have magnesium L3 and 8. So there's three forms of magnesium. This one specifically has an effect on the brain because it crosses the blood-brain barrier. Another thing that I'm very big on is uh, temperature. So when it comes to temperature and sleep, in order to fall asleep and stay asleep, our core body temperature needs to drop at least two degrees. So I'm a bit bougie. I sleep on a temperature-controlled mattress. but my, One of those my, cool bean chili pad things. It, it is, but it's it's better because what it does is it connects to your uh, it can it, it picks up on your heart rate and it knows which which stages of sleep you're in. So when wow, you're in awesome. REM sleep, it drops the temperature down. When you're in deep sleep, it drops it down. Then I have an alarm on the bed that says wake me up at five thirty. So at around five p.m., it starts to raise the temperature because to wake up, we wake up with our core body temperature risen. So it wakes That's me up so in cool. the morning. It also vibrates. It went to wake me up. Little. Oh, yeah. I was like, what, like a massage? This is just getting no, better no. and better. <laughs> <laughs> no, just to wake me up. Um, so there are, yeah, they're my tips. And if you have trouble waking up at night, 
it's generally because you've your pineal gland has run out of melatonin. So melatonin is our a naturally secreting hormone from the pineal gland. Uh, it gets released in response to darkness and it keeps us asleep. So if you've woken up, it's either that or it's something else, but um, it's most generally that. Yeah. I think um, for a lot of people listening, a lot of these things are super actionable and things they can do. I think the one thing a lot of people will struggle with is tech technology, you know, either watching TV or something on the computer or being on the phone because people forget that that is a form of light. And I mm. always say this to Anja, so he's, you know, watching his TV shows until 11, 12, and I, I crack it because I go to bed at like 10 and he's in the room on the computer. I'm like, I need pitch black. Like I'm that kind of person there. If I'm in a hotel room and there's like a little TV light on, I'll look for oh, like yeah. sticky tape or a Band-Aid or something to put over it because it just, I can't have any light. And that's always just been an intuitive thing for me. But in terms of like using tech, do you think things like the blue light blocker glasses and the, you know, how you can get like the filter apps for tech do you think that's still okay to use tech up until you're going to bed or closer to bed if you have those things on or is your rule of thumb just nothing if you can well no, of course nothing if you can however I do live uh, in this world as well and I am uh, I my laptop is you know I'm probably going to be working tonight till probably 11 p.m it's been one of those days but it has an effect, a little effect if you've got screens on your computer, if you've got blue light blocking glasses, it's a little effect, but not an intense effect to say that it's completely blocked out. I'm loving what I'm hearing. One thing I've personally struggled with when it comes to brain health in the past is a bit of like brain fog where you just feel really, really like spaced out throughout the day. Now I know this can be like a combination of things, but I guess I just wanted to know your thoughts on why we experience brain fog and if you had any thoughts or tips on how we can fix that from you know nutrition to sleep to anything that impacts the brain yeah brain fog is usually a you know sometimes you wake up with brain fog and then generally if you're doing that you're feeling groggy we know that you've had a bad sleep this usually happens after drinking etc but it's a form of neural inflammation so inflammation in the brain. And that's not a serious, like that sounds crazy, but it's not. We all get it. We all experience it. But some it's like of the a healthy, temporary thing. Yeah. Some of the healthy, I mean, unless it's chronic, like chronic inflammation, but some of the uh, practices that I partake in to lower the inflammatory response is I have high dose of EPA and DHA and actually just bash fish this oil, all over right? my Instagram. Yeah. yeah. If you come to once a week, I'm talking about fish oil. So fish oil or omega-3 fatty acids are broken into three parts, EPA, DHA, and ALA. Now ALA is the plant form. So you're generally going to get that from flax seeds, from walnuts, et cetera. Uh, it's just, it always has to convert back into EPA and DHA, but EPA and DHA are so critical for health, for overall health of the brain and the, of the body. It does many things. A, it, uh, DHA specifically crosses the blood brain barrier so it can get into the brain. Second to that is it has an incredible inflammatory response. So it can actually get your inflammation un, you know, like controlled. So it's uh, one of the best supplements you can be taking. Yeah. And do you, um, I mean, obviously we go for, like we try and have those sorts of supplements in our diet before we go to like other things, but would, do you generally recommend taking like an 
um, like a fish oil supplement, irrespective of whether you're having that enough in your diet or not. I guess my question is like, is it, is it too much if you've already got it consistently in your diet? I know it kind of comes down to the quality of your fish and, and whatnot, um, but just kind of getting your thoughts on that. Quality of fish matters, A. B, uh, to have the dosages, uh, which we generally say for brain health purposes, you want to be having two grams which is 2,000 milligrams of EPA and 2,000 milligrams of DHA. So that's four grams a day. I doubt that you're going to be getting that from fish. You'd have to be consuming a lot of fish, and that's a lot of calories from fatty fish. So, yes, uh, I generally would say you can easily get this from um, a high-quality supplement. Okay, beautiful. So you've spoken a bit about fish oil. You've also brought up magnesium. Are there any other supplements that for you are non-negotiable in in terms of like a a healthy brain regime? Yeah, vitamin D is incredibly uh, important for the brain and obviously the body. It's our sunlight vitamin, but it's also a hormone and it does many vital things. It actually has an effect on over 3,000 genes, which is huge. One of the most surprising things to me when I learned about this is that we have vitamin D receptors on our brainstem and all throughout our brain tissue. So uh, vitamin D is incredibly important. I I have 5,000 IUs, international units of vitamin D per day. I I also have uh, vitamin E because it helps with the absorption of the EPA and DHA. Uh, I have a lot of... uh, I'm I'm a bit crazy with my with my vitamins, but I would say as a general rule, they're it. Some days, like today, I had L-tyrosine. Um, L-tyrosine is a precursor to dopamine, which is our motivation molecule. It helps keep you focused and vigilant throughout the day. So I've had a, an insane day. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. So that's a couple supplements people can start to think about. Actually, on the note of vitamin D, would you say that natural exposure to vitamin D, like if you had X amount, like 15 minutes a day or something, would be enough in place of a supplement? Or is it kind of like the fish oil, you'd really need to overdo it to get the same that you would from a supplement? Look, in everything in medicine, um, the dosage makes the poison, we say. Mm. So too much of anything is bad. But what I mean by that is, going out into the sun every day is not detrimental. Um, I think we've been scared by the media when it comes to skin cancer, but in actual fact, we need sunlight that goes through Mm. our eyes each day. Uh, And this is all, you've also got to have a look at your blood. So if you go and get a blood test and you have a low vitamin vitamin D status, then you may want to think about supplementing. Yeah, beautiful. Um, On the note of like diet and maybe like a bit of hydration as well, um, there's obviously a lot of info out there about how much water we should be drinking and what's the minimum intake. And it might vary depending on your exercise and your body type and, and all of those things. What's actually the impact on our brain when we are not hydrated when we're dehydrated or not consistently drinking enough water? Because I know you opened up with the fact that we are, was it 60 or 40% water? I couldn't remember which one it was. The brain is 60, 60% fat. So 40% water. So 40% water, which is almost half, which is quite significant. Mm. So what's the impact? I assume dehydration would be something that aids the aging process. But can you talk to us about what that actually looks like in the brain? 
Hydration is not spoken about enough. And actually the WHO, World Health Organization, released a statement saying that 70% of daytime fatigue is due to dehydration. So dehydration is- yeah, so dehydration is is huge. Even a mere 2% in dehydration can drop your reaction time and your thinking by 30%. So I make sure that every single one of my clients and athletes are hydrating. Now, here's the caveat. You don't want to just be hydrating with water. You also want to be hydrating with electrolytes. It turns out that when we sweat, we are sweating out zinc, selenium. We're not just sweating out water. Zinc, selenium, potassium, sodium, uh, many different things, many different electrolytes. And so if we're not replacing those, they are vital nutrients for your brain. In order for your brain to function, we have these brain cells, they're called neurons. And the way that they function is they communicate with each other. One neuron communicates with the next. And what happens during that electrical impulse is a sodium potassium pump is activated. Sodium and potassium are literally electrolytes. So your brain can't even function without electrolytes. So Mm. if um, all of your listeners, uh, balances, as you call them, if you really want to have an effect on your focus throughout the day and have uh, more energy to do the things that you love, consider hydrating with water and electrolytes. Yeah. Awesome. And is that also what people do when they kind of put the minerals in their water? Is that the same basis because I've done that yeah yeah yeah, cool um and that's obviously not something I mean in Australia it's obviously fine to drink the tap water but that would be something you'd need to add in if I'm correct to say yeah correct you'd have to get a um you'd have to get like a a powder from somewhere maybe the liquid IV sachets put them in your water Mm -hmm. shake it up and then you're good to go yeah, yeah. And hyd- I love that you brought up hydration as well because it's such, again, like sleep, it's something we do every day that if we can just optimize in the smallest ways, it can really make the difference when it comes to the aging process of our brain. I want to end this combo in a very fitting place and it's all about balance. And I just wanted to know in your, ex- in your you know, experience professionally or personally, how would you describe a balanced brain? What does that actually feel like to you? Oh, I've never been asked that, but um, it would be knowing how to de like put the brakes on when it's needed. Because there's going to be times in your life when you're going to be stressed, and you need to know how to manage that. So I think having a balanced brain is it's not just about being lazy and being zen the entire time because you want to have a bit of stress in your brain, a bit of stress in your life. So it's knowing when to put the brakes on and rest and recover. Yeah, I I really appreciate that response because it's quite fitting with how we look at balance and it's not life isn't this linear like you're in this beautiful middle ground where you've always got shit together. It's a combination of ups and downs and it's knowing what you need at different moments in life. And so when we're looking and talking about brain health, that's no different. And it's not to say that, you know, you go and implement all these tips and have all these supplements and your brain's kind of perfect forever. It's you'll have different stressful situations or chaos in your life or just nights where you can't sleep for a combination of different things and so having all this insight so you know when to chop and change or or jump in and do something different for your brain is always super powerful and and that's what the podcast is all about it's about aiding people in different areas of their life so they have these uh 
tools in their toolkit and they can run to them when when they need them and kind of supplement their lives along the way. So Louisa, I've as always learned so much from chatting with you and for anybody listening who has really, you know, their interest has been piqued by any of the topics we've gone into. I can guarantee you Louisa's done an episode on it or there is something on her Instagram about it. So I'm going to pop links to your IG, your podcast and your TikTok all in the show notes so people can go and connect with you there. But I just want to thank you so much and um, I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and seeing where the rest of your journey takes you. Erica, you are doing an absolutely phenomenal job. Keep doing it and thank you for having me. My pleasure.